Imagine that. A harlot. Let's be honest, folks. She was in a pagan culture. The only things she understood of God are the things that she's heard from the Egyptians. From the other uh, countries that Israel came through in their wanderings. That's all they've heard of this God. And they were terrified. They may not have loved God, but they sure respected God. They respected the snot out of Him. Can I say that in church? You'll let me know later. They really respected. They were afraid of God. They didn't reverence Him. They were afraid, terrified, scared to death of this God. So they knew that when the Israelites came knocking, they knew what was going to happen. Rahab knew what was going to happen. Rahab knew that Jericho was promised to Israel. Because of that, because of Rahab's demonstrated faith in the God of Israel, she ends up becoming David's great-great-grandmother. Imagine that. This pagan harlot ends up becoming the lineage of our Savior. That's the redemptive power of God, folks. It doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. God has great things planned for you. Great things in store. Amen. Rahab is mentioned in the genealogies of Matthew chapter 1 and in Hebrews 11, the faith chapter. So when God opens the door, folks, let's step through. Praise God. Our lesson today. I never took the fight seriously. Those somber words of former heavyweight boxing champion Iron Mike Tyson came several weeks after arguably the greatest upset in the history of professional boxing. Around 30,000 fans crammed into, into the Tokyo Dome. The bell clanged and two hulking men began to pummel each other. The crowd anticipated Tyson to fight to a resounding defeat of a relatively unknown boxer named James Buster Douglas. I'm not too much up on boxing. I do recognize Mike Tyson, though. (coughs) He did. He was hungry. As the rounds added up, the crowd and critics realized something was wrong. In the tenth round, a relatively unknown Buster Douglas defeated a battered and staggering Iron Mike by knockout after he knocked Tyson to the canvas for the first time in Tyson's storied career. The boxing world was stunned, but the defeated heavyweight champion realized it was his own fault. Quote, I was out of shape, more or less. Tyson said in a New York Times article in March 1990, I let myself get too heavy before the fight. I lost 25 pounds in Japan in the last month before the fight. It was too much. I fell into sloppy habits. Douglas beat an out-of-shape guy who didn't prepare properly. Mike Tyson's defeat teaches us a little about human nature. Over time, we tend to stop doing the things that led us to our success. We may get sloppy in maintaining what led to our success. Dieters often find this to be true. Through hard work, willpower, and discipline, people lose weight. Then, little allowances are made that lead to reduced discipline. Gradually, the weight begins to creep back onto their frame. 
Dieting is an ongoing battle. Similarly, consider how many marriage relationships fail due to spouses who fall into sloppy habits. The selfless, loving attitudes and behaviors they exhibited early in the relationship give way to criticism, apathy, selfishness. It is the same with our relationship with God. Samson found out the hard way what happens when you forget the fundamentals of living in the favor of God. Like Iron Mike, Samson was a heavyweight champion in his own right. He was mightily used of God to lead and defend against the enemies of God, but over time he too fell into sloppy habits. And when it comes to Samson, I, I, I have to imagine that there was some initial good in him that God recognized and saw. Uh, we just don't see a whole lot of it in Scripture, though. Uh, he fell into sloppy habits pretty quick. Sloppy habits, a lack of self-discipline, and ignoring key fundamentals always lead to failure. That's absolutely true. When Joshua summoned the Israelites, he started off by telling the people of Israel God's blessings to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. They were leaving the wilderness behind and entering into God's promise, God's promised land. And sometimes, folks, prosperity is a difficult pass, uh, test to pass. It's difficult. And here's why. When we're struggling, when, we're, uh, when we don't know where the next meal's coming from, when we don't know if we're going to have enough money to pay this or that, we have to trust in God. We draw close to God. Our faith begins to soar as He works in that situation. And then everything explodes and everything God just takes care of everything somehow. And everything's fine and we got plenty of money and we got plenty of food and, and everything's going good. So I don't need God now to, to provide. I got the money. I got enough food banked. I got savings. Car breaks down, I just pay for it. Buy a new one. And so we start to we start to realize I can I can rely a little bit on my own now. And that leads to, well, I can rely on myself here, too. And then here over here. And eventually, if we're not careful, we get to the place where we stop praying, we stop trusting God, because we don't need to. Prosperity can be difficult. I remember the uh, uh, Brother Nichols telling me some stories about uh, the the Ursonites over in uh, the USSR, former USSR. He got to pastor some of them. And he was humbled by it because a lot of these have been in the gulag for years, some decades, in the gulag. And they came out and they were strong in their faith. Strong in their faith. Powerful. Moved, uh, God moved mightily in their lives. And then some of them came to the United States. And they completely backslid. Prosperity can be a very difficult test to pass. Even when you're so strong in God. We're never strong enough, folks, to stop trusting in God. We're never uh, secure enough in our faith to stop believing God's promises even in the midst of plenty. Joshua reminds the people that they're inheriting a land they didn't work for. 
They were going to reside in cities and in houses. They didn't work to build. Their food came from vineyards. They neither planted nor nurtured. They're just going to walk in and start receiving the blessings of God. They came from 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, having to rely consistently and daily in God's provision. But now, now they don't have to anymore. But Joshua warns them, you better maintain your faith in God. You better keep trusting in His provision. We need to understand we serve a God of process. His promises and callings are rarely immediate. We see that all through Scripture. Joshua, Abraham, David, Noah. God promises something. God tells us something's coming to pass. And then it takes a long time for that to actually happen. There's a process involved. Faith is obedience and loyalty to God while He is preparing us for the right time to receive the promise. When God promises us something, folks, we can't get excited. But don't get excited because it's going to take place today. Get excited because it's going to take place. Who knows when? It could be a long, arduous journey from here to the promise. But that's okay, folks. Whatever that journey is, is absolutely necessary for us so that we can attain the promise that He's given us. I said in an earlier message, sometimes we're not ready to receive the promise of God. We can't receive the promise of God right now. But as, we, as God works things out in our lives, as we go through situations and circumstances, and we face tests and trials, then He prepares us, and He makes us ready to receive that promise. Praise God. Joshua recounted the miracle of the Exodus and reminded the people of their victories. Joshua highlighted the faith and perseverance it took for Abraham to initiate the promise. Leaving kindred and country behind to go somewhere. Waiting decades. Decades for God's promises of an heir to come to pass. God commanding Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. The promise of God. Can you imagine God giving you a promise? You're holding on to that promise for decades and you finally attain it. You finally attain it. And it's so awesome and it's so wonderful. And then God says, I need that back. Can you imagine that? That would be a test of faith, folks. Abraham, I mean, this guy is awesome. The Bible says he got up early in the morning and headed out. Not a peep. Not one word.
And Abraham never saw the greater promise of God fulfilled in his life. The thousands of millions as the, the sand of the, the seashore, as the stars of heaven. He never saw that. Joshua detailed God's faithfulness from Egypt to their present moment. Remember, most of the adults listening to Joshua during this speech at this time, they weren't alive during the Exodus. Some of them weren't even alive when they got to the the River Jordan the first time. They didn't remember anything about being slaves in Egypt. They don't remember anything about the ten plagues and the exodus, the crossing of the Red Sea, the meeting God at Mount Sinai. But Joshua was. So was Caleb. They remembered all of it. They remembered everything. Most of them had only second-hand knowledge of those miracles. But they did have first-hand knowledge of the miracles in Canaan. Receiving the promise finally. It was important here in Joshua's mind to remember God's faithfulness, His provision, His miraculous power to save and to deliver. We need to remember those things, those, those, those situations in our lives where God arose where God stepped in and did great and mighty things. We can't forget those times. We've got to remember them. And we can thank and praise God for them. Joshua knew that the pathway to the promises of God are wrought with struggles. Some struggles lead to victory. Others lead to failure. It's never God's plan for us to fail, but we do fail from time to time. Victories bolster our faith in God and cause us to want to move on in Him. Everyone loves the victory. Everyone loves the victor. We all celebrate success, especially here in the United States. doesn't matter what the character of the individual is. A lot of that will be forgiven if they're a raging success in business. Bill Gates, nobody really cares what kind of a character... He has. Just as long as he's got his billions. And his character isn't that good. Uh, As a fruit inspector. Not judging. As a fruit inspector. Defeats. Cause us to learn something about ourselves. Cause us to grow. Refocuses our attention on what's important. Defeats can turn out to be good things in our lives if we'll allow God to work those things out. It's never God's will for us to suffer defeat. His plan is for us to move forward from victory to victory, from faith to faith. But when we fail, God can work those things out. We can step back and say, why did I fail? What got to me? I need to bolster myself in that area. I need God to work something out here. And it causes us to refocus. Maybe I got slack. Maybe I got stupid. Maybe I got, maybe I got my attention somewhere else. That, and it needed to stay here. Whatever the problem situation was, I can refocus. I can regroup 
and get back on track. In any case, there can be no miracle without a battle. We love seeing healings, but first we need an infirmity. We love deliverance, but first somebody has to be in bondage. And we all know there's no salvation unless there's first a sinner. Without a battle, folks, there is no miracle. Without struggle, without situations that I can't take care of, I have no need of God. God's given me a reasonable intellect, reasonable health. I can go out and get a good job, make enough money to, to get by. Don't think me sacrilegious in saying this, folks, but there's a lot of people out there doing good financially, and they hate God. I don't need, let me say it this way, I don't need to recognize God in my life to make it. I do need God, and so do they. Their breath comes from God. Their life comes from God, whether they recognize that or not. They're breathing right now by the grace of God. So they need God just as much as I do. The only difference is I recognize God in my life. They don't. But what I do need God for, and what they need God for, is salvation. I don't care what else happens in our lives. I need to be saved. I need to be delivered from the bondage of sin. I need to be assured that someday I'm going to live with Jesus Christ forever and ever. After that, we can talk about whatever else, but that, that has to come first. And I need Jesus for that. What we possess in Jesus Christ came to us at great cost, both from previous generations and from our own struggles. None of us standing here, sitting here today, are here by our own power, our own will. I just dug this out of the Bible and discovered it myself. Mm -mm. It was revealed to you. If you had any desire, that was given to you by God. And men and women came before us, church. Mighty men and women who prayed and fasted, who sacrificed to give us what we have here today. We're considered respectable. As far as the Christian community goes, we're respectable. There was a period of time where we most certainly were not respectable. We were heretics. They would tar and feather people, run them out of town. Let's heed the warning of Joshua and let us never forget what it took to get where we are today. Our own struggles. Folks, some of you have sacrificed intensely. Some of you have given much. I'm not, I'm not boosting anybody up or puffing anybody up beyond measure, but 
I'm going to give honor where honor is due. Some of you have sacrificed a lot and do sacrifice a lot. That doesn't earn us anything with God, but it does demonstrate something. It demonstrates where your faith is, where your priorities are. And it would be the same, folks. It would be the same after having gone through so much. After having given so much of our time, our finances, our, our, the resources that have been made available to us, to lose out now when the finish line is in sight. Amen. Heed the warning of Joshua. Let us never forget what it took to get where we are today. Joshua offers a new challenge. Joshua commanded the Israelites to get rid of their idols. Apparently, some of them were still struggling with Abraham's father's idols. Others may have taken to worship the gods of Egypt. All we have to do is remember the golden calf at the foot of Mount Sinai to consider that prospect. As people of the New Covenant, that's you and I, the New Testament, we must guard against embracing gods of our culture and of our past. God commands us, Thou shalt have no other gods before Me. That doesn't mean just a physical idol of wood and stone that I sit here on the right hand of the pulpit as I'm preaching. That doesn't mean that I have a little shrine in my house dedicated to Buddha or whoever. The idols today aren't like that. Maybe our parents struggled with idols. What are the idols today? Love of money, love of entertainment, sensual pleasures, worldly success or, or <laughs> fame, other people, maybe myself, stuff, things. It could be any number of things. Anything I put before God is my idol. God will be first. Folks, this is this covenant relationship again. Understand, I can't have multiple wives. I don't get to establish a covenant relationship with my wife and then a, another covenant relationship with another girl and then a third and then a fourth. But I, I love them all. I'm faithful to all of them. You've heard that, right? Does that make it okay? I mean, that sounds okay, right? It doesn't even sound okay. It sounds ridiculous. But we do that to God. We establish a covenant relationship with Him. I'm going to be faithful to Him first and foremost. But then I get a really good job, and they're asking me to do some overtime, and okay, okay, yeah, but i got to miss some church. Okay. Well, then I get a promotion. i got to go traveling, and... I'm going to have to be gone for a while. I'm going to have to be gone from my family. You see where we're going here? Pretty soon I don't have time to pray because i got to get early for business meetings and I'm staying at the office late and I'm so tired and I just can't do anything right now. And now God is in second place. If that. Now I have an idol in my life and I don't even realize it. I don't realize it. I'm still a Christian. I still love God. 
I've got an idol. I've established another covenant relationship with someone else, something else, my job. It doesn't have to be a job. It can be anything else. Anything I put before the Lord Jesus Christ becomes my idol. We must consecrate ourselves to the Lord and to Him only. We've got to serve our God with singleness of heart and mind. And we've got to be unified in our entire being to follow after the Lord. And I say this because sometimes we struggle within ourselves. I really want to do this, but I really want to do this too. I want to commit myself to this, but I don't know if I'm going to need to do this. I've got to be unified in here. All of me has to serve Jesus Christ. everything. God wants me to do something, well then that's what I need to do. And I need to be one in moving toward that to the expense of this or anything else. If I can only choose one or the other, I need to choose Jesus Christ. You may have a momentary regret. Hopefully not. Hopefully we're spiritual enough to to understand the the significance of this. But even if we do, folks, we're not going to regret uh, sacrificing this to do the will of God when we get to heaven. We're not going to regret it then. Joshua challenged the people to serve the Lord. Joshua drew a line in the sand and he demanded that they make a choice here and now. For many years, Israel had made decisions based on what the group thought, where the group wanted to go. And that was easy and that was safe. There was no individual responsibility that way. You've heard of mob mentality, right? That is a separate, it's an actual separate branch of psychology. People, re, people act way differently in a group than they do as an individual. There was a, I watched a study a while ago. It was not real scientific. It was on YouTube, but, but it made the point. They had a bunch of people in a, in a doctor's office. And uh, everyone in the waiting room was in on it except this one person. And she walks in and sits down. Every once in a while, a bell would ring. And when the bell rang, everyone would stand up and then sit back down. And she had no idea what was going on, but eventually she stood up with the bell. No idea why. No one explained anything to her. But the, 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 the idea that, that we want to conform to the group. We want to be a part of the group. And so they extended the experiment and everyone left except that one girl. And another person came in. And the bell rang and she stood up. And eventually he started standing up. And they, the experiment went on. They had the whole room full. And from that one girl, they had everyone standing up. And no one knew why. It's amazing. It's incredible. <laughs> We're all in on it, Brother DeMuth. 
But we want to be part of the group. We want to fit in. We want to conform. And the children of Israel were no different. When a few people wanted to go, a few more people wanted to go, the group wanted to do this, this is what we need to do. And Moses, time and time again, would face that mob mentality. They weren't, he wasn't dealing with a congregation of 15 or 20. He was dealing with 2 million. That's a mob, folks. They all murmured together. They worshipped the golden calf together. They doubted God together. And they experienced victories together. But not anymore. Now Joshua would force them to make an individual choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Not tomorrow. Not in a convenient time, but today. Right now. Right here. Make a choice. Choose. Folks, if we, were, if we will serve God, we're going to serve Him on purpose. You'll commit to it. No matter what. Because I promise you this too. Once you make that commitment, once you sell out, and some of you already know this, once you sell out to the Lord Jesus Christ, that commitment is going to be tested. It most certainly will. And not just once. Not just once. It will be tested consistently, time from time, to make sure, are you still committed to me? Are you serving me for the loaves and the fishes? Or are you serving me because you love me? Doesn't matter what mommy and daddy are doing. What are you going to do? Doesn't matter what your children are doing. What are you doing? Doesn't matter what your spouse is doing. What are you doing? Folks, when we stand before Jesus Christ, I'm not going to have my kids with me. I'm not going to have my spouse with me. I'm going to be there all by myself. All alone. That group is going to be gone. My protection is going to be gone. And individual responsibility is going to come crashing in on me. Every individual must decide for themselves who they're going to serve. Joshua made a commitment that he and his family would serve the Lord. Joshua had seen Israel stagger between loyalties for years. He was there the whole time. He came out of Egypt with everyone else, with Moses. He saw it all. He had witnessed the idolatry of God's people in Egypt. He told, told Moses as he was coming down the mount, there's the sound of war coming from the camp. Moses said, that's not the sound of war. That's a party. That's a party going on. He saw firsthand their propensity to gravitate toward false gods throughout the journey to the promised land. He saw the double-mindedness still present in some Israelites. So he challenged them to choose. But, before giving them a chance to answer, Joshua answers his own challenge. He tells them, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Israel's leader under God stood up and threw down the gauntlet for everyone else, hopefully, to pick up. 
He's not telling them who to serve. You can't do that. You can't command that. If you're going to give them an individual choice, then the individual needs to make the choice. But he's letting them know, this is my choice. I'm choosing God. In today's day and age, the time for wavering is over. The time for riding the fence is long gone. The way our society is shaping up, folks, you're going to be kicked one side or the other anyway. You may as well make it up now. Decide now. If you haven't already, make a choice. Because if you don't, that choice is going to be made for you. Make the choice. Because whether you do or they do, you're responsible. You're responsible for that. If you let them make it, they're not going to pay the price. You are. And once you make the choice, will your choice be demonstrated in your walk? Will it be demonstrated in your talk, your actions, your choices? Our faith will always be demonstrated by our actions. What we say we believe and what we do are sometimes a little bit different. They ought not be. We should act the same Monday, Thursday, as we do Sunday, Wednesday. Same people. What we believe will always be demonstrated by our actions. Do I believe in the power of prayer? Then I'm going to pray. I believe in the power of prayer. Yeah, but you don't pray. Do you really believe that? You believe in the power of prayer like Scripture teaches. You'd be praying. If you believe in God's ability, God's covenant promises and His ability and His desire to answer them, we'd be claiming them a little bit more. Amen. Because the promises of God are not only yea and amen, but they're exceeding great and precious. Every promise in the book is ours. It's a part of our covenant relationship with Him. Every one of them are ours. We can claim them any time we need them. Any time we want them. All we've got to do is ask. All we have to do is ask. Despite past victories, we must continually commit ourselves to the Lord. Amen. We said just a little, a little bit ago, we've got to recognize what God has done for us in our past. And we do. And we remember that. And we're thankful for that. We praise Him for that. But God is the God of the present. He's the God of the future. And so, recognizing what He's done for me in the past, I need to look forward into the future and see what has God yet to accomplish through me. What has God yet to do in my life? Whatever He's done in the past is great. But he's, he's willing, He's able to do so much more moving forward. One of the reasons for that is something we touched on earlier. 
God has brought me through situations and circumstances now from these events in my past and in your past. He's brought us through things. He's taught us things. He's taken things out. He's put things in. And now we're prepared to receive even greater things from Him. How awesome is that? The best is yet to come. No matter how good it is today, the best is always yet to come. The longer we live for Him, the, the, the farther we move forward in Him, the greater things we have to look forward to. Period. There are no exceptions to that rule, except I start doubting. I start operating in disbelief. If I continue to believe the covenant promises, if I continue to submit myself to Jesus Christ in everything in my life, and I am obedient to Him moving forward, all I can look forward to are great things in God. I'll have more circumstance and situation. I'll have more test and trial. Most certainly. I will be tested from time to time. But even in the midst of those, I have great things to look forward to. And as hard as it might get down here, we're going to say with the Apostle Paul, these light things which are but for a moment, worketh in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight and glory. We're going to look down on the our <laughs> trials from heaven, and we're going to I have no idea why I responded like that. I have no idea why I complained as much as I did. Whined and cried. And folks, I can whine and cry with the best of them. I sure can. I start getting some sniffles. And it's all over. I got the raging flu. And I need to stay home and Bring the kids over and pray an anointing on them and pray the blessing on them because I'm about to depart this world. <laughs> but we're going to look, folks. This is what we receive from that. What God does through that is so much greater, infinitely greater than anything I have to do or give in return. It doesn't compare. It can't possibly compare to what God is doing and wants to do in our lives. Amen. On April 11, 2015, at the Hayward Field in Eugene, Oregon, hopeful athletes met to run in the Pepsi Team Invitational Track Meet. The crowd of over 3,000 roared as the contestants in the 3,000-meter steeplechase raced toward the finish line. The steeplechase combines different skills into one race, distance running, hurdling, and long jumping, Runners must clear 28 hurdles and 7 water jumps along the nearly 2 mile long course. Interestingly, the steeplechase originated in England. When people raced from one church's steeple to the next, the steeples were used as markers due to their high visibility. Runners encountered streams and stone walls when running between towns. That's why the hurdles and water jumps are now included. During the steeplechase on April 11, 2015, Oregon's Tanguay-Pepoy I think that's how you say it. A senior from France had a commanding lead as he approached the final 100 meters. In his mind, victory was sealed. He was so confident that he began waving his arms for the crowd to cheer louder. Unfortunately for Papoy, no one informed the University of Washington's Marone Simon that the race was over. 
As Papoy urged the crowd to cheer louder for his sure victory, he smiled as he heard them respond. It was only fitting. Papoy was a student athlete at the University of Oregon, and this race was being held on his home track. But he did not realize that the crowd's heightened cheers were not celebrating him. They were urging him to stay focused as Simon rapidly closed in on the outside. By the time Papoy realized what was happening, Simon crossed the finish line and won by a foot. Ended up winning by about .1 seconds. Papoy lost the race after he broke one of the key rules in sports by celebrating before he won. A look of shock and dismay broke across his face as Simon passed him at the finish line by a tenth of a second. Ten one-hundredths of a second. I heard some noise, Papoy explained. I was very surprised. Then I checked the screen and I was like, whoa, someone's coming. Simon explained, I thought he had me. I thought he was just so far ahead. Then I heard the crowd get crazy, and he started throwing, started throwing his hands up. I was like, I don't think he knows I'm coming. I just went to the line and just raced. Amen. Our adversaries are a different uh, kind of adversary than the ones Israel faced. We're tempted to worship different gods than the ones Israel was tempted by. Our weapons are not carnal. We do not fight flesh and blood, nations and clans. But our temptations and our battles are just as real as theirs was. On our pilgrimage home we're going to face, we must face many battles and overcome many hardships. Our enemies need to be conquered. Let me say that again. Our enemies need to be conquered. They don't need to be talked with. They don't need to be assuaged or pacified. A deal made with them. They need to be conquered, defeated, beaten. Bitterness, unforgiveness, lust, greed, worldliness, etc., 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 all of them need to be defeated in our lives. As we continue to demonstrate obedient faith in Jesus Christ, He will continue to give us victory over these and every other enemy we face. Amen. God has shown Himself very strong and powerful in our behalf. We have many testimonies and many victories we can share with one another. And again, we've got to always remember them. Thank God for them. Worship and praise Him for them. But... Looking forward, keeping our eye on the prize. we got to stay focused because the finish line is coming around the corner, folks. It's coming sooner than we realize, I think. And I think most of us think it's coming pretty soon. We don't have a lot of time left. We're not there yet, though. Our race is not completely run. If you're still drawing breath, folks, you're still breathing good air. God's got a plan for you. He has a plan for you. A great one. A mighty one. It doesn't matter how young or old we are, folks. You're not used up. You're not done till God says you're done. Amen. The final bell of the fight of faith has yet to ring. And I warn all of us, myself, we've got to take the fight seriously until the very end. 
Let's not wave our arms and shout the victory. We made it home. We made it home. And then realize the enemy's got one more play to make. Got to stay focused. As the saying goes, we're in it to win it. Let's take it seriously. Let's stay focused. We have exceeding great and precious promises. Promises that we can claim whenever we need them. Whenever we need them. We pray in His will. We pray in accordance with the advancement of His kingdom and His purposes. And those will always come to pass, folks. Always. We can put our hope and our faith and our confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what. Amen. Let's all stand. Jesus, you're an awesome God. I am so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for your so great salvation. Thank you, Jesus, that as we move forward in our pilgrimage, our walk with you, that we can keep our hope and our faith and our trust and our confidence planted firmly in the Lord our God, in the promises, the covenant promises that you've given us, which are yea and amen. They are assured. They are written with a pen of iron. Hallelujah, Jesus. There is nothing that can contradict. There is nothing that can come against. There is nothing that can can veto these promises. They are assured unto us. Hallelujah, Jesus. We will live and we will walk as if that were true, that these promises are assured unto us, that we are who you say we are. Hallelujah, Jesus. We will continue to look to you, the Lord our God, for direction, for guidance, for wisdom, for all things. Continue to be with us as these services progress. I pray, Lord, above all else, that your name would be glorified here. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for your kind attention. We'll take a 15-minute break-ish and be back at a quarter till.